0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale
1: University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Amy Jordan, who is director of the Media and Developing Child Sector of the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania. Her current research focuses on the role of media in childhood obesity. Dr. Jordan led Annenberg Research Team, funded by a grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to provide the Philadelphia Department of Public Health with formative and monitoring research in the city's media campaign to fight childhood obesity. She's principal investigator of a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation-funded study examining sugary beverage-related campaigns from around the country as a strategy for addressing childhood obesity, and is also co editor of the Journal of Children and Media. Welcome, Amy. I'm happy to have you here.
0: Thanks, Kelly. It's lovely to be here.
1: So, what's going on in Philadelphia is quite unique and, yeah. and innovative, as and an attempt to use the media to help address the issue of obesity can you we begin by you just telling us what the media campaign is about
0: sure well philadelphia has um... it has a problem with obesity in in fact in some neighborhoods in philadelphia the rates of childhood obesity reach upwards of seventy percent so it's something that the mayor and the health commissioner have really been concerned about and something that they've um... put high in their agenda as as issues as a public health issue that they they really want to address And um, around 2010, there um, was an opportunity to think about whether mass media could be used to try to get out messages that were relevant to um, changing behaviors that are associated with obesity. So, for example, um, being more active in transit. Or reducing screen media time Um, and there are of course a host of other behaviors that are associated with uh, childhood obesity in particular but ultimately we settled on um, coming up with messages around beverage consumption because our our studies and others had found that sugary beverage consumption was pretty high not just among uh, Philadelphia adults but also among Philadelphia's children and um, that was a, a period at which we were we were really becoming aware of the role of sugary beverages in contributing to uh, children's overweight status. Um, so we saw it as an opportunity to create media messages, and we were fortunate to partner with the health department to give them um, both a, th- a theoretical framework, but also some evidence base for creating messages that would be relevant to the, to the populations that would be most at risk.
1: So just to go back over something that you mentioned pretty quickly, the national statistics on the prevalence of childhood obesity... Are about a third of overweight, or a third of American kids being overweight and obese. And you said in some parts of Philadelphia, it's
0: 70%. Yeah, so if we look across Philadelphia, the rates of childhood obesity are 40%. But there are some neighborhoods where um, the majority of children are overweight, as, of course, are their parents. And so in Philadelphia, it's a big problem. Of course, nationally, it's a big problem, too. About 9 million children are affected by this. So I think that the lessons that we learn from from this campaign and other efforts within the city could have implications for cities around the country.
1: So I'd like to talk about the specifics of the media campaign and, and hear about how it developed and what kind of messages are being delivered. But let me start with a broad question. Does, does something like this have any chance of affecting people in a positive way, given the overwhelming amount of marketing that's going on by the food companies that I guess most people would agree are pulling people in the wrong direction?
0: I guess the short answer is it's really hard to make a difference if you have a limited budget, but we have to try. And um, I think we have to be very strategic in how we create the messages, but I think we also need to be quite targeted in who we're delivering the messages to. But you're right, you know, if we look at um, people's exposures to healthy messages in media, and um, and when I say healthy, I mean um, either public service advertising that encourages healthy beverage consumption or or paid for advertisements that um, promote consuming apples or, you know, other uh, uh, whole grains, etc. They're uh, vastly outweighed by the number of uh, advertisements um, and marketing in general for junk food and sugar-sweetened beverages. This is research that we've seen for the past decade and a half, and certainly research that's been done by the Rudd Center. That said, <laughs> it is important to try. And in in Philadelphia, the um, The notion was to create messages that wouldn't just appear every now and again on television, but would be able to reach people where they were. So there were posters on buses and in subway cars. There were signs on corner stores or bodegas. Um, There were there was a text messaging campaign, and there were uh, uh, a series of radio advertisements that aired on different channels, reaching different kinds of populations. Um, so, so there really were were two stages that we were concerned about in terms of the effectiveness of the campaign. Um, first, if people are aware, does it change their knowledge about the role of, in this case, sugary beverages in contributing to, to, to children's weight status? We found even before we started the campaign that there actually was pretty high awareness of of how. Um, sugary beverages added calories to the diet and could contribute to obesity. Um, and I think that was because there was already a lot of public discourse about the potential for a soda tax. So the health department had done a really good job in getting the word out about research that had shown that the problems of sugary beverages. Um, so, so there was that level. But then there was also uh, what we needed to understand, which was in Philadelphia, because uh, overweight and obesity is so normative. We learned that this is something that they uh, that the, the populations that we were worried about they don't really uh, it's not really on their radar because they look around and they see that everyone else is um, heavy or you know in referring to their children you know thick or or you know solid um, but they were concerned and I think this is this is something that the campaign ultimately emphasized about the implications of being overweight so they were most of the people that we interviewed in our baseline survey and when I say most I mean two-thirds of the people that we interviewed had been personally affected themselves or had A family member who had diabetes. We didn't ask about whether it was type 1 or type 2, but it most typically is type 2 diabetes. And they knew what that entails. They know it entails needles and that it um, could cause blindness and could lead to amputation. And so helping in our media messages make that connection not just to weight status but to um chronic diseases that can can follow a child through their life i think was very important
1: so establishing the the people recognized there might be a link between the sugar beverage consumption and weight right but showing people that weight has deleterious consequences and it's something to take pretty seriously Mm-hmm. Sounded like it was a key part of the campaign.
0: Right. That that was quite key. And I think also um, in Philadelphia, we uh, decided pretty early on that um, in doing our, our baseline research that it was uh, caregivers who were most motivated to try to change behavior, specifically their, their children's consumption behavior. So whereas in New York... There's, um, in their media messages, there's quite often a, a focus on what we would call a, f- a fear appeal or kind of showing um, the uh, kind of scary things that might happen in Philadelphia because we recognize that parents don't always know when their child is overweight and they don't always know what to do about it, that we should deliver our message to caregivers Um we determined it should be mothers, and that we should frame the message in a way that um, is not stigmatizing. Because our in our focus group research, we were uh, parents t- warned us about that. In the sense that if we feel stig- stigmatized, we're not going to pay attention to it. But was also empowering. So. Um, Parents may feel guilty for not recognizing that their child is overweight, um, for not recognizing the contribution of sugary beverages to children's weight status, but they also need a message that they can do something about it, and here's what they can
1: do. One nice thing about the work you're doing is that instead of the city just moving ahead based on instinct or intuition about what might be best, they engaged with the university, and mm-hmm. there's a, an empirical basis for moving ahead. You actually collected data that helped form the foundation for the work you did. That's right. So what sort of messages got delivered in the campaign?
0: Well, I would say the the main message, uh, the main takeaway from our, our formative research, our baseline survey, was that um, what motivated people to want to change their children's sugary beverage consumption was that it would make them feel that they're doing something good for their children and so that was embedded into the television spot that um, ran throughout the uh, 14 15 months of the mm-hmm. campaign we also um, we also determined that a um, a behave or a belief that would reduce intention to to cut back on children's sugary beverages is if they felt that their child would be unhappy or that there would be more strife in the home. So we emphasize that, that it would be important to recognize that in the ads and that um, we should show children and parents kind of interacting around this and that it doesn't lead to fights but that actually people can be you know happy when they're changing their be- the choice of their beverages. Um, so I, there were some other kind of funny things that came out of the baseline research, and I'm not exactly sure where they came from, but one thing that we found, we didn't include it in a message, um, but was that parents believed that if they cut back on children's sugary beverages, that would have, it would improve their sleep and I can um, understand how they would make the connection between sugar and caffeine that's in soda and and children's sleep. So that that could be a potential direction in the future. It keeps coming up in all the studies that we're doing.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. So is it too early to know what impact these messages have had?
0: It's not. We followed the campaign as it ran. Um, We collected Um, uh, data every six weeks while the campaign was in the field. So by the end of nine waves of data collection, we were able to establish whether people were exposed to the campaign, uh, whether certain messages affected their attitudes and their beliefs. Um, And then we were also able to make some uh, connections between exposure to the campaign and and behaviors, so we did find that um, more than seventy percent of Philadelphians. And the Philadelphians that we were most concerned with were uh, caregivers, so parents and other caregivers who have children between the ages of 3 and 16. More than 70% had seen at least one of the messages. And when they saw the message, um, they saw it on average about every other day, so about half of the days of the month they were exposed to a message. So it wasn't super high, but it was enough that they remembered it. And people who saw the campaign were more likely to make that connection between um, excess consumption of sugary beverages and weight status. They did make the connection between um, being overweight and having chronic diseases like diabetes. Um, A couple of the messages, we saw an association between exposure to, in particular, a radio ad and um, intention to reduce sugary beverage consumption. And I think one of the most important things that we saw over the course of the campaign was that the longer the campaign ran, the um, greater the intention to reduce children's sugary beverages.
1: Nice. So how how do you make a decision, if you have a given budget, to do um, media exposure for these? How much to spend on TV versus radio versus you know billboards or placards and buses or whatever it happens to be? How do you make those decisions?
0: Well, I think there's a, a couple of factors that go into it. Um, certainly one has to do with who you want to reach. So if you have a, a very targeted population that you want to reach, then um, radio is a, is a really good way to go because you know um, you very clearly what the boundaries of that radio listening audience are are, and you're also able to craft a message that's very specific to that audience. But if you're really interested in reaching a broad swath of the population and creating a message that sticks, Um, that stays with people for a long time, then then television is a better way to go, and this is what we found in our research. We would ask people at each wave of data collection um, in the last 30 days, have you seen a television uh, PSA that shows and we would describe the ad, and we found that even when the campaign Um, or when that TV ad wasn't running, people said, yes, I've seen that ad, because they remembered having seen it maybe two months ago. We didn't see that kind of staying power with the radio spots. So, you know, I think that it just really depends on how large of a population you need to reach, how much money you have, how targeted your message can be.
1: Uh, what do you think the next generation of this is? Let's just say that you were the czar of this in the mm-hmm. city of Philadelphia, and some government agency came along and said, well, we're going to put a lot more money into this. What would you do?
0: I would um, I would argue that it's really important to make sure that um, we understand the universe of messages that are out there. And this is something that we're doing at the Annenberg Public Policy Center now, is um, Philadelphia isn't the only community that created public service, uh, a public service health campaign related to sugary beverages. There's about two dozen um, audiovisual PSAs that are out there now, and they're all quite distinct. Um, they're meant to speak to different audiences, and now we need to test them. So just like in Philadelphia, we, we uh, tested all along the way to make sure that our messages weren't having unintended effects. We want to make sure that um, all of the communities have the opportunity to to do that. But I also think that Um, we have a chance now to learn from each other. CDC has been quite proactive in making sure that communities that have created these messages are talking to each other. But I think now we can share the messages with each other. So if we have a message in Philadelphia, and our TV spot um, features an African American family, and there's a community where the um, population of concern is African Americans, then I think taking this message and appropriating it for that community could be quite effective, cost effective certainly, um, and and could give us a, a good insight into what messages are, are best for which populations. I mean, the last thing we want to do is assume that audiences are monolithic, that um, you or I as upper-middle-class white people are going to be responding the same way as adolescents who live in the inner city. So we, we want to make sure that we understand who the audiences are and how they're responding to messages, much the same way tobacco has done or what, the anti-tobacco uh, forces have done.
1: You know, what's heartening to me in, in what you're telling me is that first there are government agencies that are interested in supporting this kind of thing, that there are city officials in different places that want to do it, or state officials for that matter. um, And that there's a research basis uh, developing underneath it, which Mm -hmm. I think will be very helpful for doing things like this in the future. If people want to find out more about the work you're doing in particular, is there a web address they could go to?
0: Absolutely. So the Annenberg Public Policy Center has a website. And you can certainly go there and learn more about my sector, which is Media and the Developing Child. The um, Philadelphia Department of Public Health, as well, has a website. Um, They call it Food Fit Philly, and they have both their um, public service advertisements but also uh, our reports, and you can download them there.
1: Good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you. So our guest is Dr. Amy Jordan, Director of the Media and Developing Child Sector of the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. And there you'll find a variety of resources, including email newsletters that get sent out on breaking issues in the food policy arena. And, of course, a list of the other podcasts with excellent people who have joined us. Thank you.